Amen. Let me read out of 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And I want to talk to you about change your mind, change your life. How many of you know that God wants our minds renewed? He wants our minds renewed. Amen? Now, I'm going to talk to you about something today that is not a jump up and shout message. Um, it, it's not pleasant to talk about. But it's part of having a biblical worldview, which means you see life and everything in it through the lens of Scripture. Amen? That's a renewed mind. That's a biblical worldview. So that no matter what comes my way, no matter what the culture throws at me, like for instance, let me just go where angels fear to tread. This whole thing about transgenders who are born male but identifying female are allowed to compete in female sports. How do you view that when that comes to you? What lens does that process through? The lens of what the world tells you about it, that's the way it ought to be, and that makes total sense, or the lens of Scripture? The lens of Scripture. So let me read out of 1 John 1, and I'm going to talk to you today about the three-letter word, sin. Sin is for real. If we claim we have no sin, here it is if you want to follow along, it's on the screen. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Another version says we're calling God a liar. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him sin is for real. Amen. Now, in this series on Change Your Mind, Change Your Life, we've talked about the importance of a renewed mind. A renewed mind produces a biblical worldview. You see life and living and all of the various issues that the culture throws at you. You see them through the lens of the Bible and not through the lens of the world's messaging. Are you with me? This is so important. Because we got a lot of people going around saying, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Oh, yeah, Jesus, I'm all in. But their minds aren't renewed. You can tell they're not because of the way they're living or what they value or what they express as their beliefs. They are not biblical beliefs when it comes to several key issues. So you go, what's up with this? Because they say they're saved, but they're not living it. Or they're believing something that my Bible doesn't teach. So, so what's going on? Well, you can be as saved as the day is long and not get your mind renewed. Because you and I have to cooperate with God in the renewing of the mind because it's renewed by getting into the Word of God. So when we, when we talk about the importance of a renewed mind, a renewed mind produces a biblical worldview which in turn transforms us Christians to be kingdom influencers to walk in victory, to become like Jesus, and to better understand the will of God. Once we're saved, the Bible is crystal clear that we're to then pursue the renewing of our minds. It should be a pursuit. It should be a goal. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I believe that's 
applying to and pointing to, at least partly renewing your mind. Seek first the kingdom of God and his way of doing things, his righteousness and his way of doing things. How am I going to know what his way of doing things are unless my mind is renewed? All right? So the Bible says, be not conformed to this world's way of thinking and doing, but be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of your minds. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds. How are we transformed? All right? Absolutely. We're changed from faith to faith, glory to glory. We are transformed into his image. But the Bible says, by the renewing of our minds, by renewing the way we think, renewing the way we look at things, renewing our attitudes, renewing our beliefs, uh, straightening our thinking out according to the word of God. Now, so far, we've looked at five beliefs that are uh, common to a biblical worldview. And here they are real quickly. Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's the first one. You're not getting there any other way but through Christ. The second, God made everything. We are not the process uh, uh, or the result of an evolutionary process. We have been wonderfully and fearfully made, not wonderfully and fearfully evolved. Amen? Third, the Bible is the final arbiter of all truth. When something comes my way claiming to be a truth, claiming to be a fact, uh, uh, where do I find the answer to it? How do I finally decide whether or not it is true? By whether or not the Bible affirms it and amends it. And if the Bible doesn't affirm it or amen it, then it's not true. You can tell me all day long it's true, but it's not true if the Bible doesn't say that it's true. You say, well, Jeff, that's really narrow. Don't you want your thinking broader? No, because if the Bible is the word of God, it's true. And if it's true, why waste my time chasing down anything else? Amen? The four things, Satan and spiritual warfare are facts. Satan is not a myth. He's not an illustration of evil, not a symbol of evil. But Satan and spiritual warfare are real. They are facts of life. And the last one, the Christian's mind must be renewed. Now, those are five things common to a biblical worldview. And today, I'm going to look at a sixth one, and I'm going to end this series on this. Here it is. If you've got a biblical worldview, then here's what you believe. Sin is for real, and the cross is the only remedy. Everybody say it with me. Sin is for real. And the cross is the only remedy. That's right. So let me deal with it now. Sin is real. Sin is real. This may sound like Christianity 101 to you. Well, of course I know sin is real. But you need to understand what's happening out there in our culture, and you'll know why I'm going into this. Because, see, when I started preaching, there were certain things that people understood as soon as you said them, but no more. Now you've got to return to the basics and explain them because there's been such a drift from the Word of God in our culture. So I'm, I'm going to explain sin today. You're not going to jump up and shout. Uh, it may not be fully pleasant, but we need to hear that sin is real. Sin is a reality. Sin crucified Jesus. A survey of 3,000 people by Lifeway Research found that two-thirds of 3,000 people, so 2,000 of 3,000, admitted that everybody sins a little bit, 
but still insisted most people are good by nature. 2,000 out of 3,000 randomly polled, that's what they believed. So there is a soft peddling of sin out there. And this thinking has invaded a lot of the church. So we've got to go back. I used to say, when all else fails, follow directions. And, and when, the, when the culture goes off, when people start believing something that is not true, it is up to the church to stand up and say, hey, God has called the church to be the pillar of the truth. We've got to come out and say what is true. And sin is real, and the cross is the only remedy. Amen? There's a growing swath of professing Christians out there in a movement called progressive Christianity. And they outright reject the Bible's testimony that we are sinners by nature. They don't believe it. If you're in progressive Christianity, and there's a whole lot of people that are, a whole lot of people that are selling out to it, a whole lot of people going that way. And I, I put it this way, progressive Christianity is really digressive. It's not progressive. There's nothing progressive about it. It's digressive. Because it is departing from the basic truths of Scripture. And, and, and one of them is that we are born in sin. That's why we needed a Savior. If we're not born with a sin nature, why did Jesus come? Why did he die? Why did he suffer like we just um, um, celebrated in the Lord's Supper just now? Why did he go through all of that if we're not sinners by nature? Why did he need to come and redeem us? And on top of that, there's also a New Age spirituality movement in America that rejects a belief in hell rejects the need for repentance, rejects Jesus' work on the cross, and rejects the need for salvation. New Age-ism has infiltrated a lot of the church today. Things like that, beliefs like that. But the testimony of Scripture is so very, very clear. And I'll tell you, if you come here, you're going to hear the Word of God. I'm going to give you the Word of God. I'm not going to give you Jeff's thoughts. I'm not going to give you... Uh, Jeff's opinions. God didn't call me to do that. Any pastor worth his salt is going to stand in the pulpit, open up the Bible, read some Bible verses, and explain them to you. Uh, they're not going to get up and give the latest thing God told them or the latest vision they had or dream. No, they're going to get up and open up the Bible and, and read Bible verses and explain them to you. Because the Bible says to preachers, preach the word. So you come here and I'm going to share the word of God with you. Is that okay with you? That's what I'm going to do. All right? Amen. The Bible says that we've all been infected by a disease called sin. That's what the Bible says. We're born with Adam's fallen nature, and consequently, we have a natural bent towards sin against God. See, you and I have all sinned, and nobody had to teach us how to do it, did they? No, we did it by nature, didn't we? From the time we were a little bitty, and we said, that toy is mine. Or... No, I will not take the trash out. I mean, we are sinners by nature. Now, the word sin is found 445 times in the Bible. That's a lot of times. 66 books in the Bible, but the word sin is in there 445 times. What is sin? What is sin? When I say we've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned, what is sin? Sin is simply to break God's law as revealed in the Ten Commandments. 
Sin means we break God's law, God's standard of holiness and righteousness. We break it. We go against it. The New Testament word for sin means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Now, picture a target. We've all seen them. With the center bullseye, that that black bullseye, and the concentric circles expanding from it. Picture that target. The bullseye is the righteousness God requires. That's the bullseye. And the Bible teaches that none of us hit the bullseye. None of us hit the bullseye. Because the bullseye is the righteousness God requires. And if I don't hit that bullseye, then I have sinned. And the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Listen to these words. None, not one, all, no one, not even one. I think that means none. All right? So that's saying none of us hit the bullseye. None of us do. That's what sin is. When we miss the bullseye, it's a sin. And none of us hit it. So we all sin. You see, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses so that we would understand right from wrong. Isn't it funny? We took the Ten Commandments off the walls in our schools, and look what has happened. We don't even know what's right or wrong anymore. We don't even know if we're a boy or a girl or what bathroom to go into. It's crazy. But that happens when you take away the commandments and you take away God's Word telling us what is right from wrong. But, but the commandments also did this. They put our, they put our sins under a microscope and, and brought them into full view. Listen to what it says in Romans 5.20. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. So when I read the Ten Commandments, it doesn't bless me. No. I mean, I'm glad they're there and I'm glad I know right from wrong. But, but when I really read what they're saying, I go, wow, I'm in big trouble because there's no way I'm keeping those Ten Commandments. And James even made it worse. He said, if you break one, you've broken them all. Thanks, James. I mean, I was doing good with eight of them, and and, and now I break just one, and you're going to hang all of them on me. But that's what James said. If you break one, you've broken them all. That's what it says. So the commandments, the Ten Commandments, and Moses comes down from the mountain, face glowing, had to put a veil over it. He comes down holding these tablets of stone, engraved with the finger of God front and back. And he brought these commandments down. And when, when they saw the commandments and when we read them now, it brings our sins into the glaring light of God's holiness. And we go, what am I going to do? Because I can't live up to this because the bullseye is impossible for me to hit. The Bible says we're all guilty. Jeremiah the prophet diagnosed the human heart this way. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Whose heart? My heart, your heart deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it that sound like sinning a little bit that sound like we kind of sin every once in a while but otherwise we're basically okay hello everybody i told you you weren't going to jump up and shout about this but we got to understand this is seeing people and life through the lens of scripture god's diagnosis of you and me is that our hearts are desperately wicked, and that's why we must be born again. The Apostle Paul wrote, 
When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. So there it is again, everyone. Everyone sinned, everyone. Hence, we're all born with a bent, a, a tendency, a leaning towards sin, and born with a nature that needs to be reborn, reborn, born twice. Born once you're lost, born twice you're found. Born once you're blind, born twice you see. Born once you're dead, born twice you're alive. Born once you're without God, born twice you know him. Born once you're hell bound, born twice you're heaven bound. You got to be born again. He's got to change your nature because we were born with Adam's fallen nature. So our nature needs to be changed. The Bible says all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. Now listen to that phrase, fall short. Fall short is very interesting to me because it's like a person at a checkout counter. And here they are. This happened a while back. I was behind this, this little lady at the checkout counter and and she was wearing some pretty old clothes on. It, just the impression was she didn't have much money, and she had a, a cart full of stuff, and she gets to the checkout counter, and, she, and the woman rang it all up, and, and the woman said, I don't, I don't have enough. And, and you know what it is? She fell short. She fell short. She fell short. Short of what? Short of what was needed to pay the bill. What God is telling us here is we fall short of reaching the glory of God. We come up short. We can't come up with what we need to reach the glory of God, to be pleasing to God in and of ourselves. We fall short. We come up short. We don't have enough money. Amen? We come up short of the righteousness God requires. We've sinned in the past, and we're continually falling short of God's glory now. All have sinned in the past and are constantly now falling short, coming up short of the glory of God. So first, sin is for real and we've all done it. Everybody say amen. But let's talk about the effect of sin because sin's a bad boy. Sin's a bad boy. The wages of sin is death. Sin gives you a paycheck and the paycheck is death. Isaiah 59, verse 2 says that our sin, the effect of sin, is it separates us from God. This is why you got to take sin seriously. This is why Jesus had to come, because sin was so serious. It's not that we were sinning just a little bit here and there, but we're basically good. No, we were going full steam straight towards hell, and Jesus came to deal with the sin problem. Isaiah 59, verse 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God separated you your sins have hidden his face from you that's what sin does it separates us from god sin builds barriers it builds a wall that cuts us off from god and causes god to turn away to turn his face because god's a holy god and because of his holiness he can't look at sin or fellowship with sin so sin separates us from god that's why it's so important that we reach people with the gospel as many as we can as fast as we can in as many ways as we can because the hour is short and jesus is at the door and people are going to die in their sins if they are not saved so there is a there's an urgency to getting the word out now god is life 
And yet sin brings the opposite of life. It brings death. It cuts us off from God because God is life. The Bible says Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everybody, to everybody, for everyone's sin. So it's telling us here that sin's uh, paycheck is death. And not only uh, sin brings death and separates us from God, it brings us into debt to God. It brings us literally into debt to God. You say, well, what debt do I owe God? Well, it's a legal debt. I want you to follow me. When somebody breaks any of God's laws, he sinned. If you and I went out today and stole something, we just broke one of God's laws, thou shalt not steal. We sin, right? So we go out, we steal something, we just broke God's law. Now, when one of God's laws is broken in God's universe, because God created a moral universe, when one of his commandments is broken, there has to be justice paid. Justice has to be paid. There has to be a consequence. You can never sin and there not have a consequence released into the world. Uh, God made the world that way so that sin brings a consequence. And that consequence must be answered with justice. Are you with me, everybody? You know, I watch IDTV all the time. I, watch, I, I just love watching the criminals get caught and I love watching the way they catch them. But one thing I've noted over and over again, when, when somebody sins against a person, let's say they kill them, they didn't just sin against that person, but they sinned against their whole family. And they've interviewed, I've seen the families interviewed over and over again. And, and, and let, let's say before the court date. And they say, well, what do, you, what do you want out of this trial? And they always say, I want justice. Where did that come from? It's because a God who made us in his image made us that way. So that when we are sinned against, we want to see justice. Amen? So, so when somebody breaks the law in America, they're arrested, a court date is set, and the court date is set in order to bring justice because even fallen mankind knows when something wrong is done, there should be justice for it. Likewise, when we sin against God, we've broken a law, God's law, not American law, not a worldly law, but God's law. And when, when God's law is broken, then a legal debt is incurred because God's law has been broken and his holiness has been offended. So God says, there must be justice for this. And now you owe me, you owe me payback. Something must be done for what you did. Jesus even said this in the Lord's Prayer. He taught us to pray this, forgive us our debts. What does he mean? Sin, I would think he would say. But he didn't say sin. He said our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors. What was he saying? Well, the Greek word for debt is what we all understand to be debt. It just means that which is owed. So Jesus is teaching us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive me, Lord, for what we owe, for what I owe you, for the sin that I committed. Forgive me my debt to you. Forgive me my debt to you. Because God is owed justice for a wrong committed. And your sin debt without Christ is like a really bad bank debt that builds with interest and fines and it builds up to the day when you die and you're going to face God. 
Everybody with me? I told you this was going to be heavy. You're not even smiling. I'm not even getting a grin from you. But I understand. But I want you to understand. I want us to understand the gravity, the reality of sin and why Jesus Christ had to come. Because unless we have Christ interceding for us and his blood covering us, every day that goes by we accrue more and more sin debt to God. Until by the time we die at 60, 70, 80, whenever, we die in our sins. What does it mean to die in your sin? It means you've died with your sin debt unpaid. Ooh, man. You don't want to die that way. Not with your sin debt unpaid. And here's the message of Christianity. is that either a person pays for his sin debt through death and eternal judgment or Christ shed blood pays it off for him. Come on, everybody. And that brings me to a non-negotiable conviction in a biblical worldview. If I'm seeing life and I'm seeing reality through the lens of Scripture, here's what I see. There's only one remedy for sin, and that's the cross of Christ. Only one remedy, the cross of Christ. There is no other remedy. Buddha didn't give you one. Muhammad didn't give you one. Being a good person didn't give you one. Going to church doesn't give you one. Having a great job doesn't give you one. Being a good parent doesn't give you one. None of those things pay off the debt. There's only one thing that pays off the debt. Because we're all going to meet God. Romans 14, 12, so then each of us are going to give an account of ourselves to God. Every person in this room, including me, we're all going to give an account of ourselves to God. And God's not going to say to us, um, where'd you live? How much did your job pay? What'd you wear? Uh, where'd you go to school? Where'd you get your degrees? What were you driving when you died? He's not going to say any of that. He's going to say, what'd you do with my son? All right? At the judgment, there's a lot of people that are going to say, oh, I'm here to give an account, so here's my account. I was a good person. I was raised, uh, I was raised well. I raised my kids well. Uh, I gave money to charity, God, over and over again through the years. I never broke the law, never got a traffic ticket. I was an amazing American citizen. Everybody thought that I was all of that and a bag of chips. And God, I even went to church from time to time, particularly on Christmas and Easter. I was there. Will that work? No, I went to India once on a missions trip. And uh, uh, boy, what was that a trip? All the way to India. And when we got off the plane, I went into the Indian airport and, and I was hungry. So I saw a couple of things, grabbed them, went to the counter, and slapped down some American dollars. And the little gal behind the counter said, sir, I'm sorry, I can't take that uh, because we only deal in rupees because the Indian dollar is a rupee. And we only deal in rupees. And I looked at her and I said, really? You won't take an American dollar? This is an American dollar. You won't take an American dollar? And she said, I can't. We only accept rupees. Now, what would you think if I had started saying, but I'm a nice guy. 
You may not know, but I've never gotten a traffic ticket. And, and let me expand a little bit more on how incredible I am. I'm also a Christian minister. Did you hear what I said? I'm a Christian minister. I'm here in your nation to minister to your people. I'm a minister. On top of that, I've been a great dad, good husband. Uh, I don't think you really know my track record. And even more than that, I have fed all kinds of hungry people and given lots of money to charity. Uh, are you getting my message? Here's my American dollar. Based on all these good things, you can't accept my money? Now, if you were standing there, you'd be thinking this. Pastor Jeff, what are you doing? What you are, what you've done, how you've lived, have nothing to do with having the wrong currency. It's not a matter of who you are or what you've done. It's a matter of the currency you're trying to use. Your currency won't work. Your currency won't work. And, and will it be any different when multitudes of people offer the currency of their own good works in the face of Almighty God? And they say, the currency of my good works ought to get me into heaven. And God will say, your good works have nothing to do with it. It has to do with having the right currency. And what is the only currency that will be accepted at the judgment bar of God? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. The blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. 1 Corinthians 6.20, Christ has paid the price for you. What did he pay? Silver? Gold? No, his blood. Acts 20.29, 20, uh, Paul tells the elders of the church, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's the currency. 1 Peter 1.18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you were living. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ. That's it. So you see, this is why we've got to take sin seriously. Sin is serious. Sin is real. And the only remedy is the cross of Christ. Sin put him on that tree. Sin put the spikes in his feet, the spikes in his hands, the thorns on his head. Your sins, my sins, all of our collective sins put him on that tree, on that cross, on a hill far away, on that old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the days. What happened at the cross? Jesus took my judgment and your judgment, my sin and your sin, my blame and your blame. He took the rap for me. He took the rap for you. He was judged for what we had done. He took it all. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he said that, it was because for the first time, in eternity past and eternity future to ever happen again. He was temporarily separated from God as he took our sins upon himself. And what did that? What put him there through all of that agony? Sin, sin that is real and sin that has only one remedy and that is the blood 
that was paid at the bar of God to deliver us from the cage of sin. Amen. Can we stand up together today? How many of you are so glad that God took your sin? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you believe that you're going to be accepted by God when you meet him based on your own good deeds, I urge you to change your mind and change your life. And look at the way the Bible looks at it. Come to Christ who shed blood alone will wash your sins away. Sin is real and the cross is the only remedy. It's the only remedy, the only thing. So can we go to God right now and, and worship and thanksgiving for all that he has done? Lord, we just thank you for sending Jesus on the cross. You purchased us through the blood of your son. We were redeemed, purchased, bought back by the currency of his righteous blood. Can we lift our hands and just thank the Lord for that? You will know the truth and it will make you free. He whom the Son frees is free indeed. Thank you, Lord. Jesus said, he who believes in me has life. He who turns to me has life. He who places faith in me has life. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if any man opens the door, hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. And you do it by calling out on Christ and saying, Lord, may your blood cover my sin. It's the only currency that will wash your sin away. Thank you, Lord. Say with me, Jesus, thank you for the shed blood. I receive your forgiveness in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you're glad for the shed blood of Christ, give him a hand. Amen, amen. Amen.